0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 165 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Halver, joined, as I always am, by Joey Carrion. And on today's show... We're going to be recapping the results from week three in the NFL on DraftKings, reflect on some of the key decision points from the slate, and of course, close out the show by taking a look at the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can also find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, live stream on Saturdays. And finally, our Discord channel is open and available. Free to join the link to do so is in the description to the podcast. Joey, how you doing, buddy? Welcome back home.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's good. Good to be home. Good to be on my setup again and not streaming off of, you know, a MacBook. Uh, so so that's good. And yeah, it was a, it was a fun week. Yeah. Um, didn't play much DraftKings. I did end up playing, you know, some head-to-heads, so I could have a cash lineup to talk about for this section. Uh, wasn't a great week, but I didn't even play that much money, to be honest. All in all, I consider that a dub. After you know, not really spending much time on DFS this week because I was um, not home.
0: Well, we're back at it, and we're gonna be grinding. For the week four slate, but we'll get to that on Thursday. Just reflecting a little bit on what happened yesterday, the cash line on DraftKings was hovering around 145 in double ups, a little bit higher than it's been in the first two weeks. Some of the chalk actually hit for once. You know, in terms of my results, I dropped 167.48, so about 22 points ahead of the cash line. Clean sweep. I mean, I won about 95% of my head to heads with that line, and I'm feeling good about it, man. I needed a win after taking two hard Ls Mm. and just getting my cheeks clapped in the first two weeks i needed the confidence boost to come back and, and get a dub
1: yeah um it was definitely a good good week and a good lineup from you 167 and cash is always great right you know win pretty much every single one of your head-to-heads is a good feeling. Uh, I, I wish I could be feeling that right now, but <laughs> I'm not. Uh, my lineup that I ran ended up scoring 143. So not great. And if I did play double ups, it wouldn't have cashed. Not feeling too bad about it. Ended up winning like 45% of my head-to-heads or so. Not 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 the best week, uh, but shout out to you for getting a W this week and, and boosting the morale a little bit
0: yeah thank you man needed that gonna be stacking it up again uh (laughs) next week with another one and and looking forward to that so in terms of cash game decision points and like sort of the main decision points on the slate i talked about it too on on the youtube video where i break down cash games for the week like i think that the most difficult decision to make this week was at quarterback you know running back was relatively easy to me Uh, you know ceh and saquon barkley i felt super confident in madison Mm. as well you know, Cooper Cup, Chris Godwin, TJ Hawkinson, like these were all super easy plays. The one real difficult play, I think, was whether or not to go up at quarterback or to go down to Justin Fields. And we'll talk about Justin Fields a little bit when we get to stats and storylines, but uh, you and I ended up on different sides of that debate. I, I paid up for Lamar Jackson and you ran Fields.
1: Yeah, and Fields ended up with three points. so Just a brutal, <laughs> brutal run out for Justin Fields. Um, I'm pretty sure the Bears averaged one yard per play. Like, how does that happen in 2021? <laughs> like, I just want to say this real quick. Yeah, Justin Fields was bad and, and maybe he was holding on to the ball too long. But Matt Nagy is one of the worst head coaches in the NFL. Mm -hmm. How do you not tailor a specific game plan to your dual-threat quarterback that you know is going to be starting early in the week? Can you please explain that to me? How are these coaches so dumb? I feel like yesterday, what happened in the NFL just like exemplified bad coaching all around the NFL. Am am I bugging for saying that?
0: What do you mean besides the Bears example?
1: Like you, you have like in that Packers Niners game, Kyle Shanahan, not going for it on fourth and one in the Packers territory. You got Cliff Kingsbury kicking a 68 yard field goal that leads (laughs) to a Jacksonville Jaguars return touchdown. I mean, unlikely, but why are you kicking the field goal right there? And then just other examples of coaches, being way too passive and I, I feel like it was just exemplified yesterday and there i feel like there's just a lot of bad coaches like even the patriots like goddamn james white gets hurt damian harris is our only good running back and they play brandon bolden 46 of the snaps like what are we doing here yeah it makes no okay. sense to me what
0: happened Th- yesterday those are some those are some good examples yeah the arizona thing was crazy like I was, like i just got out of the bathroom too like i i was coming back to my screen watching it like in in real in real time i'm like wait why are they kicking this i thought it was good i'm like wait why is jamal agnew running back and then he just kept going i'm like holy shit and the, and the fields thing like i saw someone tweet about it it's like imagine if You know, the Ravens offense just tried to run Lamar Jackson out there for Joe Flacco's offense or like kind of what we saw last year with Jalen Hurts, essentially, you know, not having the offense tailored to him. And, you know, we see the difference clear as day. He was not good when they were just giving him Carson Wentz plays. Mm -hmm. And now this year they they tailor the offense to him. And Jalen Hurts looks like a completely different quarterback way better. So, yeah, I I don't know what's going on. I mean, we've known that Matt Nagy is he's horrible donkey. Like he, he, he needs to be fired immediately what was the quote he had a quote yesterday he's like I can't believe we're so bad it's like dude you're the you're the head coach (laughs) he's like it's almost unbelievable I'm like dude you're the reason
1: (laughs) dude he is horrible like that shit tilted me so hard like oh like you got to put some of the blame on Justin Fields right for just having a bad performance like He easily could have ran for like 30 or 40 yards and gotten more than three points, which I was expecting Fields to do was to to come out and run the ball quite a bit, and it just didn't happen. He got sacked nine times, had more sacks than completions. Like It was just a train wreck of a day for the Bears, and Matt Nagy, I, I think, is getting to the Adam Gase level, to be honest.
0: Oof. Yeah, I mean it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Hopefully they can free Justin Fields before they torch his career. But yeah, I mean, just going back to DraftKings, like, yeah, I don't think playing Fields was bad. I preferred Lamar Jackson, obviously. I mean, I would say that both of them ran pretty poorly in in terms of results. Like, you don't expect Fields to get three rush attempts, and Lamar Jackson had his receivers, Marquise Brown specifically, dropping touchdown bombs left and right. It happened like three times, so. You know that's a seven-point swing if he capitalizes on one of those touchdowns and gets an extra 13 yards for the passing bonus. So, I mean, obviously, if you're paying up to 7,800 for Lamar Jackson in cash, like, you want more than 20 points, but when the highest-owned quarterback in cash games drops four points, like, you're doing all right, so. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Lamar was a good play, and I was toying with builds that had Lamar, but I ultimately was fine going to fields at 5,200, i just thought the floor would be a little bit higher with his rushing upside but like i just mentioned i forgot that matt nagy is a stone cold donkey and doesn't you know create any plays designed for his quarterback that ran a 4-4 that at the combine so that's on me you know i'm not blaming them that's Mm. on me for for trusting this goofball yeah so bad week
0: now Something that's been talked about a lot in 2021 is how the general field in DFS has gotten a lot sharper, but to people who say and think that there's not still an edge, I would argue that there is a clear-cut edge, because due to uncertainty around the Dalvin Cook situation, Alexander Madison, who I think was clear-cut one of the best plays just from a projection standpoint, came in at about 20% owned in cash, Mm -hmm. despite all signs pointing to Dalvin Cook being ruled out and... Madison being in a price range where there were good late flex options, even if you didn't. So we know that late swap is underutilized in DraftKings, but because of the uncertainty, people were afraid to pull the trigger on Madison and Cash. And, you know, that was a huge edge as Madison went out and had 30 plus touches, dropped 26, and looked amazing doing it. I mean, I think that the clear cut, correct way to play Cash this week was to put Madison out there in your flex and leave some room to either swap to Cortland Sutton or Robert Woods or if you had a little extra salary up to Carson. But the floor ceiling on Madison at 6K in this spot against Seattle at home, first home game for the Vikings this year. I think it was just too good to let uncertainty get you off that play.
1: Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And honestly, was there much uncertainty about it? You had multiple reporters like Schefter... And Jay Glazer, you know, discussing how Delvin Cook was pretty much not going to play. Like there, there was a very slim chance before those games even started that Delvin Cook was going to suit up today. Uh, so I ended up playing Madison as well in cash. And for reference in the Millie Maker, which I ran one lineup in, he was only 14%, which obviously would have been double. Had this news happened five days before or four days before, like if Cook was ruled out early in the week, Madison would have been the highest owned running back on the slate. But he comes in at fourteen percent and was in the Millie maker uh, winning lineup this week.
0: And you're right; like it, it wasn't even that much in doubt. Like I felt very confident that Cook was going to miss. But I think that that might just be like a veteran DFS thing. Like at this point, we've been playing for years, and we can kind of like read through the tea leaves, like. And just sort of like have a general feel for what's going to happen in these situations. And I think that a lot of people, maybe people who haven't been playing DFS for as long, just they need that official, he is inactive or Mm -hmm. he is active to feel confident in it. And I, and you know, like DFS and fantasy in general is a game of incomplete information. And if you don't feel comfortable, you know, sort of living in the uncertainty sometimes and making good educated guesses, I don't know. That's something I think that needs to be worked on and honed. I think it's a really important soft skill in DFS.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree, especially in, in GPPs. Like getting Madison at fourteen percent in a tournament like the Millie Maker just offers an insane edge, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people before the game start, you know, they just set their DraftKings lineups and, and forget, and then they're watching the one o'clock games, and then Cook officially gets ruled out, and then nobody's late swapping. So you get Madison at fourteen percent in the Millimaker. Maker he drops 26 points when somebody a million dollars and it probably wasn't like every gpp winning lineup this week so that was definitely the edge to exploit and there's going to be situations very similar to this as the season goes on so it's definitely a skill to have is to be able to read these reporters words and, and what they're saying and figure out you know, if these players are actually going to play or not. And I think it was pretty obvious that that Cook was going to miss this game. Madison ended up just being a phenomenal play and just about the the risk part that you touched on like it, it's been paying off to be risky and DraftKings so far this year like mm-hmm. these these gpp winning teams are just super contrarian teams like the millimaker winning team had a josh allen double stack with cole beasley and emmanuel sanders so yeah. th- i think that's something that i want to focus on moving forward and i touched on it last week too you you just got to play a little bit more risky because that's what's winning these tournaments and 2021 so far
0: yeah absolutely uh couldn't agree more last thing that i will touch on here in decision points before we get to stats and storylines is clyde edwards hilaire joey i mean you you said he was a good play and that you also were not going to play him uh as one of the Didn't work out. You know, foremost <laughs> for, as one of the foremost voices uh in the anti CEH movement, you know, how did you feel about CEH finally having a good game, 17 attempts for 100 yards, hit the bonus on DraftKings just barely, thank god, one yard and uh you know, getting a receiving touchdown as well.
1: Shout out to Clyde, he he was a good play. I still think that when you're rostering Clyde in redraft or dynasty, you want him to be more involved in the passing game. And he has five targets through three games. So the usage just isn't going to be there in the passing game. And yeah, he had a good game on the ground. And I think the Chargers are going to be a run funnel this year. So that's definitely something that we have to keep our you know minds on for the rest of the season, because they've just gotten absolutely slaughtered, on the ground through the first three weeks and it was just surprising to see Kansas City keep on giving Clyde touches when they were down the entire game correct like I don't think they had a lead at any point in this game and he was still getting work ended with 19 touches barely got the bonus it came late in the fourth quarter so yeah he ended up getting there but I just still believe that you you're not playing him to be that grinder to get you 18 to 19 attempts I think you want him to be more involved in the passing game. And, you know, I'm fine fading him if this is his role and I'll just let him beat me if he can continuously put up 100 yard games on the ground and get the bonus because he's not going to do that every week.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think it was a very slate specific to yeah. play him. Yeah. yeah. 4,800 people were like max fed up with him. Like nobody was going to
1: fumbled you know. again, too. That's the thing. And he still got oh. more
0: work. Dude, he fumbled early in the game. Like, I thought it was chalked. Like, I thought my whole day was about to be chalked. Like, he was not going to touch the field again. Like, it was going to be the Daryl Williams show. But they, you know, they went back to him. And, you know, the kid had some confidence, so good for him. Definitely won't be playing him at 5,400 against Philly next week. But, you know, I'm glad that he got there for me when i needed
1: them to yeah right and i also saw on twitter i just want to say this is that um some people think that andy reed just doesn't call specific runs that fit ch's skill set like um how, how we saw him try and hit the uh corner against the ravens on that one play and he just got thrown mm-hmm. down for like a yard but ch is more of like a go in between the tackles type of runner so if andy reed can just fix that and fix the play calling you know he he could be better for fantasy i will say that but i'm not playing ceh as long as he's not getting targeted in the passing game and it looks like he's going to be a two to three target per game player so I, I, yeah. I don't see a ceiling if that's the case
0: yep that is definitely a fair critique all right let's get into some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week we touched on justin fields a little bit he left his NFL debut with a new Bears franchise record, but not the type of record that you want, man. Fields took nine sacks in his NFL debut, lost a total of 67 yards behind the line of scrimmage, completed six passes for 68 Scoreless yards ran three times for 12 yards. It was a horrible performance for the Bears rookie quarterback. And, Joey, I'm, I mean, we're starting to see this become a trend for the entire 2021 rookie class in general. Trevor Lawrence, who is supposed to be about as fail proof of a prospect as it gets, has a five to seven touchdown interception ratio right now, two turnovers or more in every single game, including four yesterday. Zach Wilson, two to seven touchdown to interception ratio. I mean, he looks completely lost. Every time he's on the field, he looks horrible. With the Jets, Mac Jones is the best so far, but even he's only accounted for two touchdowns through three games. I mean, we haven't seen Trey Lance yet. Maybe he'll be the saving grace, but Mm -hmm. I mean, so far, this 2021 quarterback class is not looking to be what it was hyped up to be.
1: Yeah, right. They've been horrible to start. The year I think it it was kind of predictable a little bit uh, with Zach Wilson going to the Jets, one of the worst teams in the NFL, with a rookie head coach, a suspect offensive line, and a terrible defense. Like I wasn't expecting him to do much there. Jones. <sighs> I, like i i like mac and he's he's been playing well and you know the patriots defense hasn't the patriots offensive line hasn't been playing well there there's just not enough talent on the patriots offense right now as it is like they go out and pay 87 million dollars for two top tight ends in the nfl and they have them block every play it, it blows my mind and then trevor lawrence i mean i don't know what the fuck is going on with that guy but he just looks completely lost. And then Justin Fields is paired with the worst head coach in the NFL.
0: I think we got to account a little bit for that with Trevor as well. Like Urban Meyer may not be the worst head coach in the NFL, but he's he's working his way there. <laughs> yeah. he, he's looking up to Adam Gase and Matt Nagy as like inspirations for his career path.
1: Yeah, no, that that's facts. I, I still have a little bit of faith in Urban Meyer just because of his track record in college, but it is a different game and he's not looking to be a great coach right now and I just think that these quarterbacks have been playing bad themselves but they're also in bad situations so it's really hard to make a definitive conclusion after three games for Trevor Mack and Zach and one start for Justin Fields but god they are in terrible terrible situations and i just just feel bad for him man like as a as a rookie quarterback you just want to be put in the best situation possible and all four of them are like in some of the worst situations possible it's actually unfortunate
0: yeah you know there's nothing that we can do to like sugarcoat how this quarterback class has looked so far but at least things aren't looking bad for some of the skill position players in this 2021 rookie class particularly Jamar Chase, Joey, who is the absolute real deal, just like we expected. In week three, he had five targets, four receptions, two of which were touchdowns. That makes four scores in three games for the young rookie. Hopefully, people were not fading him based on a couple of preseason drops because he looks to be absolutely everything he was hyped up to be. Yeah,
1: I mean, Jamar Chase was a 19 year old like sophomore at LSU and he dropped 2,000 yards in the SEC and 20 touchdowns. And people were fading him, like you said, because he had a couple of drops and and a couple of bad reports and a couple of misled storylines that, that came out from like NBC Sports or whatever. Right. Jamar Chase was easily like my highest owned wide receiver in best ball pre-draft. And then after the draft, I I had a lot of shares as well. So I love Jamar Chase. I I think he is going to be the Bengals wide receiver one when it's all said and done. Higgins should be the wide receiver two and Tyler Boyd should be the wide receiver three. But Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are just uh, picking up where they left off at LSU. So you'll love to see that.
0: You absolutely love to see it. So we've got success for Jamar Chase, the top wide receiver in the class. And we've also got some budding success for Najee Harris, the top running back in the class who had 28 touches this week, 14 attempts for 40 yards, which, you know, that's not great. Very inefficient, 2.85 yards per carry. But Joey, the real story is that this man had 19 targets (laughs) for 14 receptions, 102 yards, 19 targets for a running back is the second most in NFL history goddamn
1: yeah uh, second most to Elvin Kamara who had a tar- 20 target game in his career just absolutely nuts that he got that kind of usage and I-, I think that's just uh more so a factor of you know Juju left the game with a rib injury Deontay Johnson was already out for this game and then Chase Claypool was also dealing with injuries in the game as well so they only had Najee Harris to throw the ball to and this dude Big Ben is horrible like he, he's just, oh, he's yeah. just got to hang the cleats up at this point. Mm-hmm. Did you see that video of him? Just, <laughs> he just fell. <laughs> he was just rolling out to the right. It just fell. And it looked like he got trucked, but he, <laughs> he, it was just a ghost. He just, he just fell and face planted. Like th- this dude oh, has, God. he's, he's got to go bro. And he, he was just checking it down all day to Najee. So obviously that's not going to happen like ever again in his career, But it was good to see that Big Ben is willingly going to give him targets if some of these other guys miss and just completely feed him and then Chase Claypool also had like 15 targets. She, she was nuts yesterday.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, like the thing is, is that even if all of the receivers go down, like not every running back has this in their yeah. range of outcomes. So it was really encouraging to see that, you know, they were willing to go there and give Najee that kind of workload. And, and this is kind of what we expected, you know, coming into the year that Najee was probably going to be pretty inefficient on a bad offense with a bad line. But you know, the volume for fantasy was just going to be unreal. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Like Najee Harris, mm yes don't get it confused because he dropped 30, you know, points on DraftKings this week. Like he doesn't look good. No,
1: absolutely He doesn't look like
0: not. a good running back at all. It looks like
1: an egregious pick that should have never
0: happened. Absolutely. But I will say, I mean, this, this type of workload is going to make him highly fantasy viable. He's probably going to pay off his second round, you know, pick in, in fantasy leagues because the volume is King and he's absolutely got that. So, you know, Najee Harris is going to be in consideration every single week, as long as he is not coming off the field. He's had every, single running back snap outside of seven through the first three games so you know <laughs> Najee Harris is just not leaving the field and he's going to be utilized as a rusher and a pass catcher uh, yeah you love to see it yeah
1: you do like <laughs> he's played all but seven snaps that's nuts that it's unheard of in in 2021 so it, it's hard to fade him on DraftKings if they don't increase his price and he only got $200. And, you know, I'm kind of uh, punching myself for not considering him more this week on on DK.
0: No, same, same. We have another rookie that is turning into an absolute target hog as well. That's Jalen Waddell, who caught 12 out of his 13 targets from Jacoby Brissett yesterday for, wait for it, 58 yards, <laughs> yep. 12 catches for 58 yards, lowest yardage total for a player with 12-plus catches since 2006. Jalen Waddle. I mean, they're trying to turn this man into a vintage like Jarvis Landry type in the Dolphins offense, and I just don't get it. I mean, isn't he supposed to be an explosive, down-the-field type of wide receiver? Why is his Dot LaVisca Chanel-esque.
1: <laughs> but I, I think that was very predictable and I think we talked about it over the offseason where we, we were talking about the Dolphins offense with Fuller there and Devontae Parker and I said that they were going to use Waddle like as that low A. Dot close to the line of scrimmage you know get, get the ball in his hands and see if he can make some plays out of it because that's you know the type of receiver he was at Alabama when they had like Judy and uh, Henry Ruggs there right. So it makes sense just because like Will Fuller is a known deep threat and we know what he can do and Devontae Parker's just going to be like that intermediate guy and that red zone guy so it makes sense the way that they're using Jalen Waddle but it also doesn't because he's a better wide receiver than that and you want to see him being used down the field more and not five yards from the line of scrimmage he's going to be a PPR monster but he's going to have a lower ceiling just because he's not going to get the yards unless he breaks a long touchdown and he's probably not going to get touchdowns either as long as Jacoby Brissett is starting and what Brissett has like two more games right isn't two on IRs yeah so
0: yep three game minimum yeah so
1: this Dolphins offense is just horrible in my opinion the offensive line is horrible the quarterback situation right now is horrible And, and Waddle looks to be the only bright spot so I would fade him moving forward. Personally, it is encouraging to see him get thirteen targets in that, and then eight targets in week two, and probably will stay between like eight to ten per game. I, I think for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, even without two of their is slinging the ball, they didn't. They haven't really changed much in you know the Dolphins' offense. So Waddle will definitely be viable in all PPR formats. This is something that I did not see coming this year, or maybe ever, hmm. but. Mike Williams has emerged as the clear-cut Chargers wide receiver one over Keenan Allen, 10.3 targets per game, 98 yards per game, over a full touchdown per game. Dude, this dude has had a complete career turnaround. He looks absolutely amazing. He looks like a dominant wide receiver one right now. The Mike Williams breakout year five has officially (laughs) arrived.
1: uh, Just a a late breakout from... You know, a dude drafted in the top 10. But it, it's good to see, and I have him in multiple leagues. And, you know, I was drafting a ton of him in best ball, which is always nice. And hopefully he can keep this up. But The reports during the summer were he was going to be like the ex receiver in this uh, Joe Lombardi offense who came from New Orleans with Michael Thomas, mm-hmm. which was a very voluminous role, right? Michael Thomas in his prime, you know, two years ago was... 140 catch guy right just getting targeted like crazy and then you combine that with the fact that you have a forward thinking head coach now in brandon staley there who looks to be like the real deal in terms of coaches like this man went for it on fourth and 10 like we we were talking about coaches earlier being very passive the game was tied 24 24 fourth and four they get a false start so it's fourth and nine and he still goes for it because he knows, like, if the Chiefs get the ball back, Mahomes is winning this game. So yeah. you got to play for the tar- – so he, everything is just working for the Chargers this year. The upgraded offensive line, Justin Herber is a dog. I was completely wrong about him. Mike Williams is great. Keenan Allen is great. Austin Eckler is great. And the Chargers got a got a real team th- this year. And Mike Williams is, a league, like, the best – Pick you could have made in in all of fantasy football so far.
0: Yeah, if you were lucky enough to have that combo on some best ball tournament teams, you're going to be sailing to the money in a couple of months, man. And you know, like you said, Chargers are a legit team. If they can clean up some of the pre snap penalties that they've been just absolutely bleeding yards with, then I think that they could be a true contender. And, you know, you talked about aggressive coaching. Like, you know, Justin Herbert was playing aggressive, too. Like, that final touchdown, Mike Williams' second touchdown, that was supposed to be a run play. Like, they were going to bleed clock. Mike Williams said after the game that, you know, Herbert looked at him in the huddle and was like, yo, I might just pass it to you right now. This might be a fade. Be ready. And he did it. And, you know, you just love to see it. Like, the connection between... Mike Williams and Justin Herbert is absolutely legit and like you said he he's shaping up to be a complete league winner in fantasy leagues this year so hopefully you have some Mike Williams exposure
1: yeah Mike Williams is just absolutely phenomenal this year to start and yeah he he's a league winner and I, I think him and Cup are are low-key becoming unfatable as 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 long as you know their target shares stay consistent and and how they are and in, in their respective offenses with two great head coaches and you know two great quarterbacks. So God, it's gonna be hard to not play them every single week. And yeah, it's just they're they're great.
0: You know, talking about some of the best ball exposure that we had, I know you and I both had heavy stances on Kenyon Drake and best ball, right? And Josh Jacobs is out right now. He's missed a couple of games. So I'm sitting here thinking like, let's go. Kenyon Drake shares are about to pop off. Really going to pay off for me. They paid this man $14.5 million in the offseason for this exact situation. You know, they know that Josh Jacobs is brittle. They know that Josh Jacobs is going to miss games every single week. So here we go. We got Kenyon Drake. Paid well. About to feast, right? No. Absolutely not. They're going to feed Peyton Barber 26 (laughs) touches. He's going to have 111 yards rushing and a touchdown. Three receptions for 31 yards on five targets. Because, according to John Gruden, apparently Drake missed one blocking assignment and was sent to the bench in favor of Peyton Barber. Like, bruh, what, what are we doing here? Why? <laughs> yeah,
1: who who knows with John Gruden. He's like on the, on the tier of being a donkey, but the Raiders are winning right now. So, you know, you give him a, a little slack right now, but... Peyton Barber coming in and having this game is just absolutely brutal. I thought it was a Kenyon Drake game and I played an afternoon only contest and I played Drake and it, it looks like it's just not going to work out for Kenyon Drake this year. They want to keep him in the specific role that they signed him to play and that's kind of just like that pass down back you know come in when the Raiders are trailing or come in on third downs and play a little bit of slot receiver if needed but other than that Kenyon Drake has you know a low floor low ceiling and looks like uh we were wrong about Kenyon Drake um this year and gotta take the l and you know he's uh losing us money once again you know sometimes we just mm-hmm. never learn from our past mistakes
0: that's a fact i mean god players show you who they are over time right that's what you uh, that's, say that's, so. that's my
1: motto <laughs> and <laughs>
0: why the hell did i buy back into Kenyon drake i don't understand like god and and if that's true like if he's just a glorified receiving back who's gonna get like five carries then this is one of the more egregious contracts of yeah the offseason.
1: i it, it makes no sense like they signed peyton barber off the Street. This man was working at McDonald's a month ago, and he comes in and has what, like twenty-five DraftKings points or, or whatever. Like nobody played him yesterday, so I can't even see how many he scored. He's just ridiculous, man. Like, what are we doing here?
0: And on deck in week four, he's got the Chargers run funnel defense, so we might actually be considering Peyton Barber next week, which is just a disgusting thought that makes me want to throw up in my
1: mouth. They are not on the main slate though, so that, at, least, at least that's a plus.
0: You know, remember this entire week, Joey, on, on podcasts and on the live stream and such, we talked about how Sean McVay is a sharp coach and, you know, he's not going to try and run the ball against this Tampa Bay front seven. You know, they're going to attack the weakness. Tampa Bay secondary is going to be a pass happy attack. But what I did not see coming was Sony Michel having a 20 attempt game with four targets. Now, I mean, he only produced 79 yards total on that, but it was encouraging to see that Sony Michel was a full blown workhorse in Daryl Henderson's absence. You know, Jake Funk only saw one touch. And Sony Michelle, you know, I mean, if Daryl Henderson misses any more time, he's gonna be in play fifty two hundred at home against the Cardinals next week on DraftKings. Henderson's status is definitely gonna be something to monitor coming up
1: yeah definitely um sony michelle will will probably be very high owned if henderson were to miss next week and if henderson's in i mean i I would play him too but yeah i mean it was was definitely encouraging to see sony get the work that he did but I, i will say most of that did come when the rams had the game like in hand and they and they were just trying to bleed clock so if if the game was closer i don't think the rams would have ran as much as they did but it is still good to see that they are willing to give their running back 20 23 touches when they have the games in hand in they look like a team that is going to dominate most of the other teams in the nfl like they look to be a top three squad in the nfl this year so the Ram, the rams should be winning in a, in a lot of these games which will make the running backs um viable every single week.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean while we're here talking about the Rams, do you think it's time to sell Robert Woods if you if you have shares of Robert Woods in, in season long or any other type of fantasy. I mean, we knew that Cooper Cup is dominant this year. We've seen it. We've talked about it. And, you know, I think coming into the year, a lot of the community sort of viewed it as a pick em between the two, if not favoring Woods over Cup. You know, Woods consistently had a higher ADP in best ball, so you know, Cooper Cup coming out and being the clear 1A and it not even being close was definitely a surprising turn of events, but even more surprising is that Robert Woods isn't even, like, a consistent Producer right now. You know, he is looking like one of the bigger busts at ADP, you know, someone you mm-hmm. had to draft in the third, fourth round of fantasy leagues. And he isn't even clearly separating from Van Jefferson, who was going undrafted in every league, unless I was in that league scooping up <laughs> late Van Jefferson shares. But I mean, they both had six targets yesterday. Van Jefferson was more productive with them. And it's just strange to see Robert Woods be so unproductive after having multiple solid years and getting a quarterback upgrade, which we see clearly benefiting Cooper Cup. I mean, how are you handling this Robert Woods situation?
1: If I had Robert Woods in redraft, I probably wouldn't sell him just because... The, the value is so low right now, right? What are you going to get for him after he's put up three bus games? You're not going to be able to get much for a player that you probably drafted at the end of the third round or in the fourth round, uh, unless you're like in a donkey league. So I, I'm definitely not selling low on Robert Woods. I think the targets and the yards will come in this offense. They're just going to Cooper Cup right now. And I honestly do think cup is the the number one there I think he is better than Robert Woods just as a wide receiver so he he should be the number one as long as they're healthy throughout the year but there's there's enough volume I think in this offense for Woods to eat eventually just hasn't happened for him but he has what 19 targets over these first three games and you know he's gotten some rushing attempts as well so I I think he's kind of just running a little bit bad but I definitely wouldn't sell low And I would consider selling high if he were to come out and have a good game against Arizona. You know, that's definitely possible. This is going to be a shootout game this week. And yeah, I would I would reevaluate after week four.
0: Well, let me ask you this. I mean, if it's a possibility that this is his breakout game in week four, should we consider buying low on Robert Woods, you know, trying to find somebody who's fed up with the lack of production and maybe getting Woods at a discount if we believe that the Rams are going to be dominant for the entire year and and woods is an established player that should bounce back Mm -hmm. he's just running poorly maybe Woods should be a target of ours as an acquisition
1: yeah definitely um yeah so i wouldn't sell low but yes i would definitely buy low just because of the reasons that i mentioned and i still have faith in woods um we've seen It before out of him he's a good wide receiver and he has you know high ceiling games in his range of outcomes so i would definitely consider buying low if you could just go out and swindle whoever owns robert woods in your uh redraft leagues like if if you could offer like i'm I'm trying to think um like a like a lavisca chennault or somebody like that or dj chark just for example I, i would do that swap 10 out of 10 if you can go make that happen, definitely do that. But if not, I wouldn't I wouldn't give up too much to go and get Bobby Woods.
0: Let me just take a look and see which one of these donkeys in our league has and maybe I'll send an offer. <laughs> <laughs> uh breaking news by the way, K J Hamler's out for the season.
1: Yep, so I saw that. That is tough scene.
0: That is a tough scene. Cortland Sutton target share condensing even greater. I mean Sutton and Fan are just, just set up so well right now. Yeah. It's a great run out for them. Absolutely. All right. Final note on this episode here, just looking a little bit of what we saw in last night's Sunday night football game between the Packers and the 49ers. Devontae Adams had a vintage performance. You know, he started a little bit slow this year, you know, by his standards. Turned it around, had 12 receptions for 132 yards and a touchdown on 18 targets. You know, Adams is the absolute truth. He's a beast, but we already knew that. The interesting takeaway, I think, was that Brandon Ayuk is back for the 49ers finally playing a full-time role. He had 86% of snaps against Green Bay, had only four receptions for 37 and a touch on six targets, but easily the best line that he's had this year. Trent Sherfield played something like 3% of snaps. So all that nonsense is finally over. It appears that Brandon Ayuk is officially out of the doghouse and back under consideration in fantasy football.
1: Yeah, and it's good to see, uh, especially since Ayuk was like a A fourth slash fifth rounder in best ball and redraft. But the volume in this offense is just gonna be so low. I think it's gonna be low even if Trey Lance starts, especially with his ability to run the ball. So I would look to sell Brandon Ayuk. I mean, I own him in multiple leagues. I just don't know what you could get for him. I'm not too confident that he's going to have a good enough target share to pay off. His fourth or fifth round ADP. So it, it, it's looking like I would consider him you know, a bust just in terms of like how I, how I view fantasy football, but I I still believe in his talent and he's still in a great offense. Just the volume is not going to be there. Kittle's still there. Debo Samuel's still there. It's going to be tough for IU to uh, get there on a weekly basis, especially if the Niners are leading in a lot of these games, which it looks like they will be because they have the easiest schedule in the NFL. So, I mean, it could work out for IU, but I personally would look to sell.
0: Yeah. So just going back to what we were talking about, Ayuk for Robert Wood, straight up. Which side are you on?
1: I'm definitely on the Wood side for sure. Like, like if I could, if I, I could I make that trade in our uh, home league, I, I would do that immediately. Uh, so I might have to send out an offer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. Um, it's just, it's just this offense. I don't know. You can never really predict where it's going to go. I mean, even with all their running backs out, Trey Sermon only had like 10, 10 attempts or something like yeah,
1: that. Yeah, Trey so. Sermon got there like just pure luck no such thing as luck but it was luck he barely played and scored a touchdown. it was very tilting
0: yeah no it was definitely tilting if you were in the showdown streets last night you know i think that that is going to be it though for episode 165 of the dfs dose podcast make sure you follow us at the dfs dose as well as our personal twitters i'm at ben hover joey's at joey Carrion dfs we'll be back this thursday with a look at the week four nfl dfs slate For more NFL DFS content, check out our YouTube channel at the DFS Dose. Been gaining a bunch of subscribers lately on the fast track to 300. Help get us there if you haven't subscribed already. We post multiple videos per week and live stream on Saturdays. You can also connect with us for free in our Discord channel. The link to join is in the show notes below. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.